We are in the last week of our series that we've called Listen Like Jesus. If this is your first time here in a while and you've missed a few weeks, you can always hear all of our messages on our YouTube channel. Just search CLCC Church and you can catch up. If you subscribe and you hit that subscribe button, you won't miss anything that comes up. Over these last few weeks, we've been looking at how Jesus listened to those he ran into. We've been realizing that really listening to others is really hard. I've realized that I tend to want to be heard more than I want to hear others. So we've been talking about how we as a church can listen like Jesus. Today, we're going to look at a story where we see that Jesus listened for an opportunity to make a difference, not just make a point. It's where it goes beyond ideas and speech and changes someone's life. We're going to be in John chapter 11 today. You can turn there in your Bibles or log on to your your YouVersion app. So let's jump right into our story in John chapter 11. Let's not forget that this was written by John, who was an eyewitness to a lot of Jesus' public life, and he's recording this so future generations can pass this story down to, to prove that Jesus said who he, who he is, who he said he was. Let's pick up the story in John chapter 11, verse 1. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. The two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Martha and Mary sent someone to Jesus to give him a message, and it was simply this, your dear friend is sick. Imagine being so close to Jesus that you could just send a message and he'd show up to help you out. They don't even have to tell him a name. They just say, hey, your dear friend is sick, and he'd know who you were talking about. When Jesus heard this, Jesus said the sickness would not end in death. Jesus even tells the people around him that this sickness is for God's glory. If you didn't know this story and you were hearing it or reading it for the first time, you'd say something like, What do you mean, sickness for the glory of God? In this story, Jesus creates a brand new idea that we are to listen for opportunities for the glory of God. Listen to see what God is up to so we can can come alongside him and see some amazing things happen, even if it's through a tough situation. John knows his readers, the people who are following along in the story and who are going to immediately be confused and think, what's really going on? So John jumps into the story and he makes an editorial comment just so we don't close the book and say that's just ridiculous. Now John tells us that Jesus actually loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And why does he tell, why does he tell us this? Because it doesn't actually look like he does. But Jesus actually loves these people. John says, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days, which is astounding for the people around him. Because Jesus had healed total strangers. Why would he not just get up and and rush off and heal his friend Lazarus, who he loved? And two days go by, and the person who's been given Jesus the message has gone back to Bethany. The disciples are hanging out, and unexpectedly, Jesus just stands up and he says in verse 7, now let's go back to Judea. Now immediately, the disciples are confused, because the last time they were in that area, people picked up stones to stone Jesus and kill him. They know how prophets were treated. Often, they got stones thrown at them. The problem with being around people being stoned is that people who throw those stones don't always have the best aim. (laughs) So you don't want to be around people who are being stoned. You you get out of the way when people are throwing stones. They think that if Jesus' life is in danger, their lives are in danger as well. They kind of let us know what they're thinking with what John tells us next in verse 8. Rabbi, you know, in case you forgot, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going to go there again? Maybe the real issue was that they were wondering if they had to go to, whether they had to follow Jesus. So Jesus decides at this point in, in his ministry, in his life, he goes all in. 
he leaves Jerusalem and goes just a little bit down the road to where his friends were mourning. There's this tension. And then Jesus does his Jesus thing where he totally, what we think, totally changes the subject. And this is why I believe this actually happened. These conversations actually happened. These are the parts that no one would write into the script because they're so off script. These are the moments the disciples were so confused and sometimes we are as well. But this is, this is brilliant. Jesus turns to them as they're trying to talk him out of going and this is what he says in verse nine. There are 12 hours of daylight every day. What? Uh, Jesus, <laughs> why are we just talking about our lives being at risk? During the day, Jesus says, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world, but at night there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Well, Jesus, that's a nice public announcement. Walk during the day, then you won't fall. Uh, okay, Jesus, can we get back to the topic? <laughs> As this narrative unfolds, the point of what Jesus says becomes clear. The 12 hours he was talking about were 12 hours of opportunity. Jesus is telling his disciples to listen for opportunity to make a difference, not just the point. God brings opportunity to us all the time, but we miss it because we're not listening. Jesus goes on to tell them and says, okay, guys, I know our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to, to Judea and I'm going through Bethany to wake him up. So who's with me? Hands? Anyone? Bueller? No one wants to go. They really don't want to go. So they, they, they distract and they ask their friend on Facebook from high school, who had trouble with science, but they want to find out what that person's opinion is on Lazarus's sickness. Then they give God medical advice. Have you ever given God medical advice? And people do it all the time when they pray and they tell, they tell God about all the different things the doctor can do. And I wonder after those prayers if God's ever thought, thanks for telling me that. I, I didn't know that the doctor could do that. But these disciples begin to give Jesus medical advice. Well, Jesus, if he's sleeping, he'll get better. In essence, they're saying, we don't want to go. But John tells us, as he writes with history on, on his side, Jesus had been speaking to them about Lazarus' death, and they just didn't know it. They thought it was actual sleep. Verse 14, so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, to which they thought, wait a minute, Jesus, you just told us two days ago that this sickness wouldn't end in death, and now you're telling us that he's dead dead. Now, if you, if you haven't been listening, just listen, just pay attention here. We're listening for opportunity. Jesus continues. This is a little harsh. No one would put these words in Jesus's mouth unless he actually said it. He's talking to the disciples. And in verse 15, he says, and for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there for now. You will really believe. Come, let's go and see him. I'm glad I wasn't there. Who says something like that? And then one of the funnier parts of the New Testament, the, with the disciples not wanting to go, as Thomas speaks up, maybe for the rest of the guys, and he says, okay, let's all go so we can die with him. <laughs> he thinks Lazarus is dead. Jesus is going to die. We might as well just make a party of it, and we'll all die together. It's not going to go well. Meanwhile, back in Bethany, you might be able to guess how that conversation is going. They're, they're probably wondering, where is Jesus? He didn't get here in time to save his friend, the one that he loved. And on day three, they're wrapping it up and it's time to bury Lazarus and he's not there to say goodbye. John might've thought, I, I was there and it was a little embarrassing. We really didn't have a good reason to be so late. We just didn't want to go. We actually didn't even know what to fear most. Was it, was it scarier seeing Mary and Martha or was it scarier facing those who wanted to stone us to death? John records that when they got there, they found out that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. 
And John gives us a little detail that Bethany was only a few miles away. It was like an afternoon trip. We could, have, we could have been back and we could have gone there and back in an afternoon. Before they even got there, they got out to meet Martha. And she went out to meet Jesus and she's so honest. And if you've ever said something like this to God, you're not the first, it's okay. If you've ever been afraid, you should know this moment you get permission to be honest with God. People who are close to Jesus expressed exactly what we feel in moments like this. This is what she said in verse 21. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Which is pretty bold. She's pretty much saying, this is practically your fault. You could have come. You could have healed him. And just a side note, isn't it good to know that there's nothing wrong with your faith when something doesn't go your way? And you can be honest with God. He can take it. Then Jesus says something that maybe I've been tempted to say to try and make the pain go away. In verse 23, Jesus says, your brother will rise again. Now she assumes that Jesus is talking about something else and he's just going into preacher mode. He's giving her a verse in a time of crisis. Crisis hits and someone says, you need to listen to this sermon. And you think, I don't want a sermon. Or someone says, you know the Bible teaches. You think, I'm in crisis mode. I've lost someone I, I love. I don't need a Bible verse that's probably taken out of context. You know what I need? I don't need theology. I, I want a miracle. She thinks that Jesus is trying to go into pastor mode. He's putting a theological spin on the crisis to make her feel better. Martha says, I know at the resurrection, at the last day, I know what happens. I know my theology. I'm not concerned about the last day. I'm concerned about yesterday. Where were you? What, come next, what comes next is so breathtaking. We miss it because we're not there. We miss it because very few of us could have ever felt the emotion and the frustration that Martha and Mary felt in this moment. Jesus looks at her and says, I'm not here to give you a sermon. I'm not here to talk about theology or even correct it. I'm not here to, put, to get you to put your trust in something that you've always been taught, maybe about life and about the afterlife. I'm not here to give you an idea on getting your theology right. I'm here to make a difference in your life. I'm here to listen for opportunities to make my theology make a difference in your life. So what does that mean for you and for me today? If your theology doesn't make a difference in the lives around you, it's bad theology. The Bible tells us to love our neighbors, but do your neighbors feel love from you? Do they see love from you? Is your theology making a difference in the lives of those you come in contact with? Then he looks at her and maybe smiles and he sees the pain and confusion and sees where theology meets the real world and he sees this is a person who he has a relationship with. He's been in their home. He shared meals with them. Mary and Martha have probably supported him financially. He looks at her and asks, do you believe this? This was so hard for her, for her to believe. So she probably musters up some faith the same way that she could find, the, 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 the faith that she could find in the moment. And she says, yes, Lord, I believe. I don't understand. I, I don't know why you relate, but I've seen too much. I, I don't understand everything. But I realize that I don't need to understand everything to believe something. Then she goes to her default. She goes to the thing that she's certain of. She might be thinking, I'm not sure what's going to happen or how it's going to happen but I'm convinced of this. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who's come to the world, but that's all I know at this moment. John gives us this detail. 
This is a slow emotion. John tells us that, that when he saw both of them weeping, Mary and Martha weeping, and the Jews who had come along them to, to come and see Jesus, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And then he asks, where have you laid him? They say, come and see, and Jesus went. And in this moment, Jesus arrives outside the tomb and he pauses. He's not there to pray for them and wish them well or give them a verse to remember. He's there to make a difference. That's how, why what John records next is not a trivial detail. When, when they got to this next statement, they gave these few words their own verse. Because what happened next is what is Jesus paused. Knowing what he was about to happen, knowing what he was about to do, verse 35 says, Jesus wept. He's not there to tell them what he believes. He's there to do something substantial for them. Jesus is there to share emotion and make a difference, not just a point. And he enters into emotion of the moment, this divine empathy. He doesn't just give the pat answers or say something like, if only you had more faith. I love the fact that Jesus joined in them in their mourning. He knew what he was going to do. If you read the story to the end, you know that within minutes, Lazarus will be alive, to, alive again. But Jesus pauses and joined with them in their sadness. Sometimes the best thing that we can do for those who are hurting isn't to write a nice card or, or share the casserole we made, which are all important. Sometimes the best thing that we can do for people is just share in their emotion, share in that divine empathy. I love that Jesus wept, even though he knew he'd raise Lazarus from the dead. Within minutes, he still shared that emotion with the people that he loved. John continues, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb, and then, and then he shocked everyone and told them to take away the stone. I'm sure the mourners fell silent. Mary and Martha probably gasped. But Lord, said Martha, by this time you're so late. The smell will be terrible. He's been dead for four days. Everyone took a step back. They remove the stone and then Jesus look up and he prays. Let me tell you what he prays before we read it. Basically, he prays this. Dear Heavenly Father, you and I know what's going on. Father, I think that you've heard me and I say this out loud for the benefit of the people who are standing here and for future generations that they may believe that you send us opportunities every now and then to make a difference. When he had finished this prayer, he called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And John dictates this to us as an old man is remembering this moment and thinking that they couldn't believe what they saw. The dead man came out with his hands and his, his feet wrapped with strips of linen. This wasn't a trick. And nobody moved. I don't think I would have either. I'm sure that everyone else took a step back and pinched themselves to make sure they weren't dreaming. And then Jesus says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. People started to believe that this was really happening and they rushed to free him. Then John makes a statement that he really didn't need to make. It's kind of the obvious. It's, once we read it, it's kind of obvious, but you could guess what was coming in verse 45. Many of the people who were there with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. I bet they did, wouldn't you? Seeing for them was believing. Jesus was setting the example to listen for opportunities to make his theology real. This is John's message. Look, uh, I, I don't want you to simply believe in Jesus because of belief. I'm not asking you to have faith in faith. I'm not, uh, I'm not asking you to follow Jesus because of faith. I just want you to know what I saw. Because if you saw what I saw, then perhaps you'll arrive at the same conclusion as I did. Not simply what Jesus did, but who Jesus was. Why would so many people embrace Jesus as their Messiah and Lord? Because of faith? No. 
not even what they heard. It was more than that. It was what they saw. So what do people see when they see you? Are you looking for opportunities for them to see Jesus? Jesus is encouraging us to listen for opportunity to make a difference, not just a point. He's looking for us to do more than just post inspirational Facebook posts or trite sayings to point someone to Jesus. If you don't take anything else from the Gospel of John, take this. Seeing leads to believing, which leads to trusting. Jesus shows us that we need to be listening for opportunities for his beliefs to take action. When people see Jesus, they believe in him. What are the people around you seeing? Is it leading them to believe anything and trusting in Jesus? It was seeing that led to believing. He is who he claimed to be. That led them to trust him. John's agenda isn't simply that you know the story. John's agenda is simply that you would know what John saw. And it's not that something you would believe that it happened. It would be that ultimately you would place your personal faith in Jesus in who he claimed to be because of what he did here on earth. The light had come into the world for the benefit of the world. This is amazing evidence, indisputable evidence that those who were willfully blind decided that they had, had finally had to step up and do something. Let's show the world and our community who Jesus really is by listening for opportunity to make a difference, not just a point. Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful for this story. I'm so grateful that even out of tragedy, we can see opportunity and we can make a difference. God, I pray for those who are watching today that even this week, that they would pause every moment that they come across and wonder, Jesus, is this an opportunity for me to make a difference in the lives of the people around me? So God, I pray that people would see Jesus through us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. In a minute, a question of the day is going to pop up on your screen. I encourage you to talk about it with the people who you are with, or if you're by yourself, just think about it on your own. Here's the question of the day. What practical things do you need to think that you need to remember so you don't miss the next opportunity? What practical things do you think that you need to remember so you don't miss the next opportunity? As we wrap up on our series, Listen Like Jesus, we are encouraged to listen for opportunities to make a difference. We know that great opportunities to make a difference happen all the time, but we miss them because we aren't, we aren't looking for them. Opportunities happen all the time for us to take the final steps to help people free themselves from the thing that Jesus has freed them from already, but we're not paying attention. What would it look like for you to not just say a prayer for your friends going through a loss, but what would, what would it look like for you to weep with them? What would, it look, what would it take for them to know that you are coming alongside of them and feeling the same emotion that they're feeling? Now, it, it, it might not be as dramatic as someone who's been dead for four days coming out of their grave. It might, look, it might look like you helping save your neighbor's marriage. Maybe helping a friend with the loss of a parent or helping a coworker with a child who's making some bad decisions. But it needs to go beyond words. We need to learn to let Jesus do what Jesus does and you can do what you do. Don't forget that Jesus has the hard part. He's raising the dead and you just do the easy part. Unwrap the body. What does it look like to love your neighbor? Because it's not just a saying that, you know, just not telling them you are loved, but showing that love. Maybe it's cutting your neighbor's grass without being asked or going over at, at Halloween and giving the neighborhood kids that you see almost every day the biggest chocolate bar that you can find. You do what you can do and let God do the rest. Well, we are wrapping up this series this week. Hopefully you've enjoyed Listen Like Jesus. But next week is start a brand new series called Made for Mondays, 
We're going to look at how our work is more than a job. It's a, it's a calling to live for God practically in what we do Monday to Friday. Our doxology for this series is 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. We sure hope to see you next week for a brand new series made for Mondays. Have a great week.